Me too. And don't worry, we can still talk and matter and, you know, I'll just cut all that out and throw it into the blooper reel. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a long blooper reel. Okay, so now they're barking in the house. Can you hear it? Yes. If, I, if I'm talking, though, you're going to be able talking, to deal with it, right? Uh, if you're talking, I can't hear it that bad. Like, I, I don't notice it. But if you're talking and it gets bad, I can't deal with it, just because that's, like, editing waveforms, right? Uh, now, do you want me to mute myself or anything when I'm not talking? Uh, if you think that that's going to be helpful with the dogs, yes. You know, if you've got to stop to take a drink of water, blah blah blah, yes, because I don't need to have the throat noises either, right? Okay. And, and I can't tell the difference between when you mute and unmute in background noise. So okay. that's good. Okay. Alright, do you want to start or do you want me to start? How do you... We got three paragraphs, kind of. We sure do. Um, what do you want to do? I guess I can start off. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think I started last time. So just give us a sec to get our intro recorded and then we'll, we'll jump into it. And, you know, if we get totally derailed, that's fine. We can recover. Brenda can go meet the dogs, whatever she needs to do. Yeah. And then we can come back and, and pick up again. So, okay. It's Welcome good. to Lovely Smoke. Sorry. <laughs> right out of the gate. <laughs> Were you going to ask a question? Oh, okay. I think she was trying to give us more than just the thumbs up. Okay. Ready, Brenda? Yep. Welcome to Locally Speaking, a podcast where two elected officials chat about the municipalities and regional districts that make up local governments in BC and how we manage to get anything done at all. I'm Brenda. And I'm Alton. And in today's episode, we want to talk about British Columbia's smallest communities, the people who live there, and the advantages and disadvantages to being a small or remote community. These communities make up a very important and often under underrecognized part of our province. We survive. Okay. Just restart the paragraph. I'm Brenda. And I'm Alton. And in today's episode, we want to talk about British Columbia's smallest communities, the people who live there, and the advantages and disadvantages of being a small or remote community. These communities make up a very important and often under-recognized part of our province. We recently learned that the smallest incorporated village in BC is Zabalos, which had a population of 126 people, 126 people as of the 2021 census. We don't have anyone from Zabalos with us today, but who we do have is Councillor Sarah Fowler of the village of Tassis. Sarah has been on council since 2018 and also sits as a director at large on the executive of the Association of Vancouver Island and Coastal Communities, or as those of us on the mainland like to refer to it, the Association of Coastal Communities in Vancouver Island. As of 2021, the village of Tassis has a population of 393, which is up a whopping 58% 2016. Sarah, welcome. Tell us about yourself. Where did you come from and how did you get into, uh, or how did your path take you to Tassis? Thank you, Alton and Brenda, uh, for the invitation to talk to you today. Your first question is a great choice of words because in the First Nations language, Tassis means path. So, um, <clears throat> it refers to the Grease Trail, uh, to the neighbor's the grease trail that people would walk along to trade with their neighbors to the north and family relations. I've lived here for 12 years and I am from the Great Lakes area originally. I first came to the village of Tassis as a seasonal silviculture worker. So that just means I planted trees in Nooka Sound. Um, and since then I've started my family in Homestead. So it's been a long journey to get here to the end of the the land and where the, the water is, it's the ocean side, the west side. And I really also like to what you are saying about how the coastal communities it's think that, you know, Vancouver Island is a vibe, but the coastal communities are definitely in on the joke, right? We're all like ocean people, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you say the Great Lakes, you came from Ontario then. Wow. Yeah, I'm from London, Ontario. Yeah. So it just goes to show you tree planting can um, take you anywhere. 
Like honestly, that's <laughs> such a such a diversion. So, um, yeah, go ahead. You came, or excuse me, you got elected in 2018. When did you actually move to Tassis, or, or were you there part time? Did you? Yeah, exactly. So I came here just as a seasonal uh, worker. um, And I lived in when I first got to Vancouver Island, I lived in Courtney and in Parksville. Um, And then I, well, I think it was in 2009, when I became a sort of full time resident of Tassis, and I started making my life here, I was rental renting place still. um, But I've pretty much lived on every street in the village of Tassis, <laughs> and uh, and I have really seen you know the town change. Um, even though I wasn't here from the the previous incarnation, because there was a mill and that shut down in 2020. So uh, people who arrived then it would have been much different than when I arrived when the mill was already um, decommissioned. And I first came to plant trees in Alberta and then came even farther west all the way. <laughs> our, for sure, our coastal communities have seen a ton of change going from being, you know, mill towns, logging towns to tourism, small footprint, remote work, like whatever they can do to survive, right? Oh, Alton, you're... Um... You know, you're the stats guy, and you've got here that their population has increased 58% from 2016. So if the mill has closed, what what have you guys attributed that population growth to? Affordable housing. Oh. <laughs> say, say no more, right? I think it's important to understand that when uh, there is no sort of, like, because this is an industry town in the sense that it used to be owned, the Tassis Company, and then it became the incorporated village of Tassis, yeah, 50 years ago. So um, at one point, every single building was owned by the mill, and you were assigned a house. Um, And so that has long been gone, um, but there's still the mill manager's house, right? Like that house still exists, and that is the biggest and nicest house in town, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, the uh, housing supply is quite old. Um, so, that is one of the sort of benefits and challenges, right? You know, we have seen a lot of people with COVID move here uh, because suddenly, you know, uh, living in a condo and sharing an elevator with people and breathing the same air as your neighbors um, was more of a health risk so you can get more house when you move farther to the country and um and so I have a a, like kind of large house that I have a small mortgage on and it has been really helpful I don't think I would be able to get a house anywhere else at least not in BC if I if I were to move to Tassis and there was a two-bedroom house for rent what would it go for like ballpark it's really hard to find things for rent Oh, is that right? Yeah. There's, okay, so. There has been a lot of people who, over the years, because uh, this Tassis, Vancouver Island, it is sort of a cottage country or a tourism destination for people, whether they come from Alberta or from America. Uh, a lot of uh, Americans have second homes here uh, and come here to fish. So I would say that, a, like, there's a house across the street from me, Um and it was rented, but now it's for sale. And so there's been a big uh, kind of... Sometimes when you see a 100,000, so like a 100% increase on your assessment, um, but you didn't do anything to your house, and it's just from the market expanding, um, that's one thing. But then when you do make improvements on the house, then I know that when we moved into the house, we've been able to now put a new roof on it. So it's more valuable than it was before because it was leaky before. Great. So what's that house going for that's for sale across the street? Uh, under 400000 Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, 
uh, there's definitely, uh, like, I, I would help the, the lady paint the ceilings, and she got a new tub, and so uh, she's flipped a few houses in this town, and she lives half the year in Mexico, uh, because she's <laughs> retired, so she comes here and spends the summer, uh, and then spends the winter in Mexico, and... Um, yeah, it's a two-bedroom house, <laughs> and it's got, uh, you know, uh, ground-level access. So, like, that's one of the things that's sometimes um, good for, like, um, accessibility issues. Uh, and so I feel like there's a lot of value in... Um, antiques I guess you know <laughs> like fixing up old houses and and improving the infrastructure and you find a lot of cool things like it's an unfinished basement underneath the like ground level intra entry and there's like a, a phone that it, I think it was like direct call to the mill like it's one of those things that's just like been there for so long and still works so uh, definitely a lot of um, stories I even know some people who moved here from Edmonton and they um, they had to do a lot of improvements on their house and their foundation. And when they were doing that, they're like, oh, it costs a lot more to get concrete here than it would if we were living in Edmonton. So just the, the sort of mobilization costs. And they had to fill some caves that were in limestone in the foundation of their home. I know that in the... Um, so there's sort of two sections to Tassis. There's the flats, as we call it. It's the low uh, lands near the river, uh, in, and it's been a filled-in estuary. So uh, that has some challenges. Uh, and then there's the high ground, which is where I live now, uh, in the town site area. And that has other challenges, too, in the sense that... Um, you know, earthquakes can get you no matter where you live. I remember living in this house on my kid's second birthday and there'd be an earthquake and I thought it was from them jumping on the bed. But it was, in fact, the whole neighborhood shaking. So um, there's definitely a lot of um, range, I guess. Like, I saw a lot, which was just an overgrown lot, for sale for 50 grand. But then my house is has seen improvements, you know, we're slowly getting the curb appeal. We've painted two sides of the house, so we still have two to go. <laughs> so, well, you've touched on it a couple spots. You mentioned the accessibility and, and like, the cost of, you know, buying a lot for $50,000. Well, nobody who lives in Victoria should be thinking about running to Tassis and commuting because not only is Tassis a small town, but it's a remote town. And you mentioned, like, mobilization issues for trains. But what other issues can be remote cause for a community like Tassis? Well, I think that the first thing I'll say about, you know, remote is... A, it's, it's remote in Sunshine Coast, too, in some parts, right? You know, where you're closer to a dock than you are to a road. I know that in Cayucid or in Zabalis, there are more... Um, water infrastructure. I know people who take their, it's not a school bus, but a school boat, right? You know, and I think that that's one part of things. Uh, so it's just going back to sort of the traditional highways, which were the rivers and streams and, and ocean instead of the sort of built infrastructure that we know of. And um, another part about being, you know, it, we have remote we have road access to our town in Tassis, but sometimes, like just the this cold snap that we've been having the last few days, a lot of trees fell down on the road. There's only one road, so when a tree falls down, you have to be prepared, and somebody goes first and leads the way with their chainsaw and cuts the, the timber off the road. And last year, uh, in January, we had a 10-day power outage because we had snow for 10 days. and Holy smokes. And that really, um, yeah, like you say, there is a lot of people who are moving here from Victoria and then they're buying two properties and one's an income property and now they have a job already. So that's definitely not, you know, um, hopefully when they survive their first winter and they realize it does rain more here in the rainforest proper than it does in the like rain shadow uh, south, um, then, then they sort of 
have a more realistic expectation of the service delivery that we're able to provide in small towns. But because we were a, a, a sort of country, or a, a, not a country, but a, a company town, we do, it's like, to me, inheriting a castle, right? It's like, oh, wow, thanks, this is amazing. It's like so wonderful to have this great inheritance, but there's a lot of things that are um, more holes than shirt, right? You know, there's a lot of things that are, at the end of their useful life, and that can be a, a challenge. <coughs> I think something just for your prepared question. I said uh, it's difficult to age in place if you have complex medical issues, because it is a three-hour drive to Campbell River on the best of times. When I had my two children, I was able to be served by our local health health clinic, but needed to leave home two weeks before my due date to be closer to a hospital. And so that's something that I know has an actual day. You know, when you have a heart attack or when you have a head injury or these sorts of things, you you hope that it's good weather. Yeah, I can only imagine that. I... Yeah, you can't predict those things. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> You're going to have to edit this out. You can hear the dogs. I, I can yeah. totally hear oh. the dogs. They're just going crazy right now. They're our friends. They let us know when the bears are there. That's what, you know. Well, you know what? (laughs) There could be one out. Well, they shouldn't be, but they're going crazy about something. But uh, getting back to you, Sarah, and being on council, what's that like in a, you know, that's kind of an open-ended question, but um, uh, with that small population what are your like burning issues um i think a lot about um because i i've been working as the chair of the tassis age-friendly accessibility committee that's a lens that i tend to look at a lot we had two i it's getting wound down the funding and getting passed on to like i think bc healthy communities now but there was a lot of age-friendly studies when i first got elected in 2018 And we had two. We had one that was just sort of general and then one that was focused on transportation. So, um, you know, just from my own experiences and my own family, I know that my grandfather, when he had dementia, he couldn't drive anymore, but he was lived on a bus route in London. So that's a lot different than if, like, I recently had some eye um, challenge and I had to get like a laser thing in Victoria and they I couldn't drive right you know and if I can't drive then I can't get home because there is no bus right so there's definitely a lot of um things about uh you know we are the ones we're waiting for here in in the country and the burning issues on the the TASIS council uh burning is the operative word um our fire hall has been condemned so, oh my God. <laughs> uh, so that's, uh, it's like, you know, there's homelessness and then there's recruiting people into your volunteer fire department when you have no clubhouse or nowhere to hang up your, you know, helmet. <laughs> and, is, it, uh, is it an old, um, mill building? Like it's, the fire hall? it's, uh, so we've had a few fire halls over the years, obviously before I got here. There was one building called the TV, TV building, Tassis Valley, and it was, um, sold. Um, and so now it's privately owned. And then the building that we just, that was condemned during my last term was a DFO building. So it was built well in the sense that it you know it's concrete cinder block building but it's on a floodplain and there's uh shifting foundation problems and cracks in the walls and it just got to be so much that you couldn't and that was also when the the building in Miami fell down on people so you know it's it's interesting how like when like the Bamfield crash uh happened um you know that was when someone went missing on the Tassis Road, you know? And so there's there's things that you see similarities in. And I think that with um, the fire department here in Tassis is we are a volunteer fire department. And you mentioned Zabalis in your introduction. They're just over the mountain from us. So um, you could walk there uh, if you 
could. <laughs> but yeah, um, but the best way to get there is by boat. Uh, and the, I think they're back to offering fire service, but there was a time when they had not enough people. Like they had the boots and they had the fire truck and they had the building, but they didn't have the human, um, resource. Right. And so we, yeah, we have a little bit more people, uh, than Zabalis, but we don't have a neighboring first nation that is like here, right? Like the closest first nation we're on Mauchamuchalat territory here in Tassis and the, um, Texana is 63 kilometers away. So even though this is the winter home of McQuinna and this is um, sort of uh, we have streets named McQuinna as after the chief um, but we don't have many of the, the people the population. So um, that's something that is uh, I know in Zabalis they're able to have more kids in their school that's one of the things that has when you have closeness, right? You know, and even to whether it's fire department or garbage truck, it's about service delivery to these homes, these places, these, you know, like, um, and so we just have the, um, kind of three neighborhoods in Tassis, which is the town site and the the flats and, and cardiac climb is the in between. So I, I, I'm stuck on this fire hall now. Mm-hmm. Like, what's what's your plan? Like, it's a volunteer fire department. Are they part of the municipal structure? Are they a fire improvement district? Uh, yeah. How how is your community looking at going forward with this with resolving this? Okay, so this is what I prepared for question number two. I'm just going to read these notes that I made. <clears throat> so. Money is numbers, so let's start there. We have a fleet of 18 vehicles in the village of Tassis, and that includes two pumper trucks for our volunteer fire department, a duty officer's truck, a wildland trailer, an old garbage truck, and some for our public works crew. There is no public transit, and all the housing stock is built 50 years ago, except for the new Coast Guard building. Our infrastructure is a patchwork, and we have two sewage treatment plants but hope to seek grants for deactivating the one on the lower town that is at the end of its useful life and add a lift station and only have pump time at the north plant. It's important to understand that big or small, water tests and quality, residential roads and sewers, plus the hydrants, have minimum standards. So with our fire department, we have a CCAN and we park the fire trucks at Public Works for now because they do have a garage at sorts. But that means that the public works trucks are now outside and it rains a lot. Um, The challenge with having your fire department in a sea can is that you can't wash your turnout gear in a sea can, right? And these are some of the basic level, um, I think it's the fire commissioner's playbook, right? You know, and so one of the plans that we have had to do is it it was like a four-year discussion of what are our options right what can we do this building we knew it was coming like the the fire hall that is condemned we knew that it was coming to that end but that's the thing about putting things off is that they don't tend to get better when you ignore them and so uh then it became physically actively condemned and the fire chief runs uh, sort of her office from our rec center, which used to be the multi-purpose room. Um, and now it's a fire chief's office. Our daycare used to be in the rec center and now that's moved to the school. And our goal is to get a grant to, um, move forward with taking the shop that is in the school that is currently underused, underutilized, no one uses it. Um, and, and turn that into the fire hall. So, but there is a lot of, um, another one of the questions that you prepared was about tension. And I think that, you know, my only response to that is how long do you have, right? Because there's, there's a lot of, um, people who don't really fully under, I know for my house, only mine of one out of 400 houses, 
um, if we lose our fire department service, my house will go up at least a hundred dollars in insurance for house for house insurance. Yeah, I was just gonna ask about that. Yeah, and so that's just me, right? And then everybody else has that, and so there's this sort of idea of bearing the cost together, or not. And that's you know that's a political question. You know, not everybody is comfortable with. Um, you know, uh, investing in infrastructure, and uh, I also know that um, another sort of part of the tension is that you know the rich and the poor don't really understand each other's problems, right? You know, like they're too separate from each other, and I think that uh, the uh, the hope is that when we have uh, a new sort of home base for the fire department, because we do do training, like right now is training day, and that's where my spouse is. My spouse is on the fire department. And so every Thursday, it's like, okay, let's get together, get the hoses out. And uh, I know that it can be a challenge uh, to recruit when there's not like sort of this clubhouse mentality right it's not sexy (laughs) yeah there's no um morale's not the right word but it's definitely a morale booster it's right you're there yeah yeah i like the word morale because you do need to believe in things right you know and i think that with believing like we as the village of tassis have uh memorandum of understanding with the close fishing um, lodge nearby and they were on generators until recently they just got some upgrades and now they're on the hydro lines and it's a you know pretty fancy place before I was elected I worked there as a waiter <laughs> and uh, um, loved eating at the restaurant um, and so it's called Mucha Bay and we have a like, there's been a fire on the... It was kilometer 17 in a cup, cup, black, cup block on the road out of town. So that's about halfway to Mucha Bay, which is 25 kilometers from here. And so in order to drive to Mucha Bay during that 2018 fire, you would have to pass on one side of the road fire, just completely in the cup block. And it just ended at where the cup block was. It didn't spread. But then there was another one uh, um, here in town that was up on the hill. So it was more of an old growth um, section. And so that was something, too, that Zabalis, Zabalis had a fire that was up on the hill that was sort of like threatening um, moving downwards to where the people were. And uh, yeah, I know that there's priorities, too, for that kind of thing where it's like human infrastructure you know like when when you have the kind of summer that we had i know on the sunshine coast there was water problems still is actually yeah here we are in the middle of november and we still have water problems but uh with so with the fire are you guys pursuing um evacuation planning grants like you're Mm -hmm you've only got one road and the water so obviously water is your plan for getting out of any sort of disaster right Mm. there is two ways right you know there's to leave by the road or there's a boat that could come but another one of our decaying infrastructures are wharfs uh so you know if like we have two wharves in the village of tassis that are government wharves but one has been condemned and given to the Coast Guard. And then the one that we currently have is the airplane dock. So that's the one that we're still using and limping into, you know. And again, we are trying to pursue grants because we know that this is our emergency evacuation route. Uh, we know that uh, there's... Uh, I know that when my neighbor, who doesn't live here anymore... Um, her kid had asthma and that was during that 2018 summer of fires and she got money from her family to come to Ontario so that they could be out of the smoke of the West, which we all experience. And 
I remember telling my kids, if there's fire in the back door, go out the front door. Go to the creek, which is uh, like a trail nearby our house, and slide down the river to the ocean. You know, so I, <laughs> I know that that seems a little bit extreme, but it's the same way that we have go bags for emergencies, tsunamis, flashlights for power outages. You know, I don't have wood heat in my home. I wish I did. You know, because, Especially during a 10-day power outage, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, these are the goals, you know. And and I see how having a plan A, B, C, and D is helpful. And I guess that sort of speaks to some of the emergency management experiences that I've had in my life. You know, I was a lifeguard at the village before I was elected. So I was somebody with the whistle, like, don't run, you know. All that kind of thing. And I see how um, I still do kind of feel like uh, the catcher in the rye, you know, like I'm on the edge and I'm saying, oh, there's a cliff here. Go the other way. You know, So, um, yeah, there's a lot to be said about like during this term, too. A lot of North Island uh, small communities got together and signed a joint letter about how the standards, the minimum standards continue to go up for fire halls, but there is no funding stream for this. There is no provincially responsible board body to say that if you're a volunteer firefighter in Tassis, you get a new SCBA, you know, you get new boots, you get new whatever, right? Like there's, we have to like nickel and dime our way to getting like the, the basic stuff that we need to continue to offer these services. You're on mute. Brenda, you're muted. Sorry. Um, that's a good lead into your work on the ABICC. And um, how has that been for you? It was really hard to get on the board at the ABICC. I put my name forward four times for nominations. So I'm so glad that I finally got in there. Yeah. And so that was a really interesting thing. My first AVICC was in Powell River. And that was the first one that I went to in person. Uh, and then we had the one online. And uh, I find it really useful to hear from other people in other places. So I am a huge celebrator, I guess, of regional associations, of us knowing as coastal people what are our coastal issues, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so we know what ABICC is, obviously, the three of us are, are locally elected in the, within the association, but uh, what what is it for anybody who might be listening not from our area? I have, um, <laughs> Um, the AVICC is the Association of Vancouver Island Coastal Communities. So that is our area association for our coastal issues. And there are other area associations in British Columbia, like uh, the NCLGA. That's the North something. North. And then the, the Lower Mainland one and the Kootenai Boundary one. And so these are sort of regional, geographical similar areas uh, that have uh, an understanding that it's good to know what your neighbor's issues are and it's good for your neighbors to know what your issues are. You know, my neighbor has a wood stove, right? You know, so like in the way that when Gold River got an EV charging station, I was like, ooh, look at you, you know? And I know that we'll get one maybe more soon than Zabalis will, you know? And so there's this sort of these like regional issues of like having some of the same uh, bioclimatic regions, you know? I know that in uh, the South Island, um, there's definitely a lot more like, like urban deer and like these sorts of issues where they just sort of understand each other and they understand that the problems of, of how, you know, 
my my beautiful flowers and stuff, right? You know, like the um, I I know I've chased yours out of my yard lots of times, so I, I understand the the suffering, uh, but I also understand that when I it was after the here's another one LGLA, the local government leadership academy. Um, when I went to that training, that was maybe when I first met you, Alton, um, and. After yeah, that, that was in Parksville, right? It was in Parksville. in Parksville. Yeah, and I look forward to going again in, in February because it's not just for newly elected, it's for people who are continuing their skills. Um, so after that, uh, you know, pretty swanky introduction to the, the local government world, I went down to Victoria and went to uh, Murdered and Missing Women's March, and I remember talking to someone while I was wa- walking on the street, and they were like, I'm like, oh, I live in Tassos, and they're like, oh, how is that? Rednecky? And I'm like, yeah, it, it is very um, do-it-yourself, back to the land, a lot of fishing, a lot of hunting. There's definitely a lot of people who are action-oriented, you know? So people chopping their wood and people, in fact, when I was in, in Ontario visiting my family two summers ago, you know, a bear was shot in my neighborhood, you know, and I was grateful because I do have backyard hens because I see how that's a food security issue, you know, like it helps me cope with the fact that there is no regular grocery store. It's just a general store in town for me to have those sort of, um, the doers. That's fair. Um, yeah, I guess one of the things that people underappreciate through, um, AVICC and the other local government uh, associations is our ability to lobby together. You know, it, if TASIS knows that it needs more grant funding for its fire department, it can go and get support from the other coastal communities. And we can come together and we can go to the province and say, hey, our smaller communities need more fire department funding. It's time you guys step up. Well, and just what you said, it was actually Dennis Dugas, the past mayor of uh, Alert, no, Port Hardy, and he was the first one who started this joint letter for North Island communities and also Lanceville, small communities, um, where they're having to, like like you said, improvement districts, op- small water systems, they have less it's the penny stocks versus the dollar stocks, you know, that's what they're sort of working with. And I, and I think that when you put them all together, it still does make a dollar and to have 10 different small communities, whether it's, you know, Vancouver Island or coastal, um, they understand a lot of the same issues and they can really bring that kind of act. Like I've seen in this past term, it changed. So in one of the government funding streams, fire halls were a non-eligible expense and then we wrote this letter that was a joint letter and we had all of our you know logos at the bottom of it and now fire halls are an eligible expense so we've seen how that lobbying can actually be successful and it trickle down to um the ones who really need it that's a great example of advocacy i think so many well certainly just speaking for our community and people that um I've spoken to they have it's really hard to be able to um, quantify the work that's done when we go to these conventions and I think they all think it's uh, you know sit down dinners and free receptions and drink tickets <laughs> but you know there's actually a lot of work that gets um, done at uh, these conventions and that's a great example well and I know of, for of at least for me when everything sort of went virtual and COVID, you know, made it so that it was more normal to just call in to your job, um, that made it so much easier for me to participate in things. So now I was able to bring small town issues from TASIS to these bigger tables. And I don't know that we would be able to participate otherwise, but I do see a lot of value in having... um, this, you know, like there's the meeting and then there's the pregame and the postgame, right? You know, and when we're listening yeah, to we're listening to a keynote speaker at AVICC or whatever, then we're also sitting beside each other talking about 
what are the sort of ground level stuff happening in our communities. That's, yeah, that, that's a great point. That's a great way to put it too. So um, I think, I mean, that's the end of our pre-prompted questions. Uh, is, there, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners uh, from your perspective, either about AVICC or TASTIS or local government or, yeah, just leave it open to you. Well, one of your questions um, was about, let me see, number three. Does your community maintain close relationships with the First Nation in the area, and how has it evolved over time? So I'll read my prepared um, response, I guess, to that, because it has changed. So, as Tassus historically the winter village for Chief McQuinna, we recognize how crucial maintenance and evolution in relationships are within the Mochit Muchalat First Nations area. In the past, our late mayor Schooner has done the C2C. So here's another one of those things that's the Community to Communities grant. Um, and we have a, a plaque hanging up in our council chambers saying that we've done this like work where we listen to the needs of each other. Um, but since uh, then, it has really changed uh, in more of a project way uh, where we have the unity for communities that's a trail to Zabalis for the last 20 years people have been um, trying to do economic development work with a multi-use trail to go connecting two logging roads uh, to Zabalis so we wouldn't be a dead end road there would be in fact a, a North Island loop um, and there's a lot of interest uh, from uh, adventure bikers and stuff like that who want to take, you know, rips on the uh, rough road, the gravel roads. Uh, and also another thing that I've been able to do is work with the NSWS. That's the Nootka Sound Watershed Society. So with them, I've been representing the village for the last four years. And now that it's a new term, they're giving somebody else a try. But I hope to be able to still be involved because it's such a great board. And it's taking all the different stakeholders in the sound, which is there's DFO, there's Nichalnith. Um, like, I got to go on this micro trolling. So I'd never been fishing before, even though I lived here 12 years. And I got to go fishing on, a, on an NTC boat. That's the Nichalnith Tribal Council. And I got to learn about um, gill clipping and taking genetic sampling and, um, you know, measuring uh, juvenile fish and seeing which ones are uh, enhanced from salmon enhancement projects and which ones are wild and they're a little smaller. Um, and so, and, and just like seeing what is important to the people who've always lived here. Right. That's that's the biggest thing, like being in a boat with someone who says, oh, that mountain over there, that's how we find out where we are. We look at that mountain and we look at that mountain and we see, oh, this is a good place to drop the trap. You know, this is this is these are the um, landmarks. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 So that's been a really huge. Uh, there's another thing that I learned on the watershed board that the nation is working on. Uh, one of the only, uh, there's three, uh, one in Scotland, one in Korea, and one here at Friendly Cove, which is at the end of the Tassis Inlet, or we're at the end and they're at the beginning, depending on how you look at it. And uh, so they're doing this tidal power thing where they have this like floating thing, and then they got these like cords and a power takedown, and they're trying to make this little micro tidal energy thing um, that's going to provide power to the people who live at Uquat, which is the the place of many winds. That's the um, <laughs> the meaning, I guess, of the capital for the region for the Mauchit lands and Mauchit Muchalat. And so there's definitely a lot of things that learning about what like the nation, MMFN, they're putting forward a salmon parks proposal. So they're looking at the land and how it's managed for timber and how maybe there's sort of these like bridges between the silos, right? And I find that's really interesting because listening to the chiefs talk about how 
this is their river that is um, kind of in their family, right? This is their Chum River or whatever, right? Like I, I actually, in the four years I've been on the watershed board, I still have a hard time differentiating one species of salmon from the other. <laughs> so I understand that there's more than one kind of salmon, and I understand that there's different ways to tell. Um, but when I went fishing, they were all Chinook, so... <laughs> that, it, that, that sounds amazing. That sounds like you've got some really cool awesome. stuff going on in your area. That's great. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Can that you tell me a little bit what you guys are, you know, just give a, what's it like in the Sunshine Coast? Go for it, Brenda. Can That's a whole nother episode. Of course. <laughs> well, and it's not wow. as small as Tassis, but how many people live there? Well, in Seashell, there's about 11,000. Okay. Uh, coast to, or ferry to ferry, as we like to say. So, mm-hmm. you know, one tip to the other. I think we're at about 33, Alton, somewhere around that. 35, somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, so we're in stage four water restrictions uh, in November. Um, yeah. Alton. Our, our lake is empty. Yeah. Our lakes, plural, are empty. We've siphoned them down below the natural levels of the dams and all that um we didn't start getting rain well it was rain down here but we didn't start getting precipitation until it was below zero at the lakes so it's all fallen as snow up in the mountains which is why it's you know the middle of november and we're still on stage four water restrictions i would love to say something about that um so uh, my podcast is called Waterfowl, and so water has been like the main thoroughfare of what I'm doing. And I have been following this uh, lady, Megan Curson. She's um, in Cumberland, and something that she wrote on the internet recently was, "We snow is next year's water. That's right. Rain is today's water. You know, right? And I I find that so valuable and interesting because I know when I go to the chicken yard, I flip all the buckets upright so they can hold water so they water themselves, right? You know, and so I know too when I went to Liskeedy Island, the Gulf Island, you had water if you had a dugout. But if you didn't, you didn't, right? You know, so there's a lot of collecting the rainwater, and not just letting it flush out while it is raining. Um, that's a like the water demand for drinking is one thing, then for commercial, then farming. You know, like there's so many levels to. Um, plus, plus, we need to maintain a certain level of flow in the creek for the fish. I know. So, uh, yeah, during the height of our problems, we had. We were using like eight and a half, nine million liters a day for drinking water, which included our commercial uses and things like that. And we were releasing another 17 million liters a day for the fish. And plus then there's hydro too. No, I mean, not in our particular situation. Okay. But uh, yeah, no, like the only reason our creek didn't die, like the, the ones up North Island this year, is because we, we were releasing water for the fish. Mm-hmm. Well, and I got, like, an email from a DFO person through the watershed board that was like, oh, we were up, you know, 30 kilometers, I don't know how far, up the Tassis River, mile marker 8 or something. We found 300 fish in pools, tide pools, and that's drying out. And so that's another thing. Like, who can you call to come and do these, to come and collect fish in buckets and move them to the water right you know like there's there's definitely been a lot of um concern with i know in the couchin area they've been doing that for a while um like having to sort of have stream keepers and you know fish mobilizing armies (laughs) and and i see too that like already the enhancement work that we do is intervening right you know and then the fish farms is also intervening because we do need to have inputs right and outflows uh and i think too like the idea of 
we as a culture of Canada um municipalities, First Nations, there's a big range between the different kinds of water situations in, you know, your community to my community. We have a a lot of water. We actually are on a well now, um, but we used to be on um, the McKelvey uh, intake, which is never been logged uh, because it was previously our water source. And I think that this... Like when I got elected in 2018, that was the main issue was um, being uh, aware that there's effects on water systems, right? It's not just, uh, you know, the fish or the timber or any one specific resource, but it's a system that is interconnected and uh, related. And so, you know, having having enough water to keep those fish going means that you had fish for eating, right? Right. Yeah. For sure. I, I mean, you mentioned a well, and the town being on a well now. How how long did that process uh, take you guys to get through? It was during uh, the last council, before 2018, that they had decided to do uh, a well. And so we have some industrial dumps that have, so we have the well and then we have the monitoring wells. So we can like do monitoring and testing through these wells to see if any in buried industrial contamination is making its way into the well. Um, and the current mayor, Mayor Davis, who he's been reelected, um, he is a, a bat caver. He he does citizen science and and learn and is a car specialist. And so he understands a lot more than I do about the water systems, the flows in caves, underground rivers, these sorts of things, and how um, and how <laughs> maybe a well wasn't the best idea. But it was already decided. And so in the sense that we have our water that comes to my tap from a well, we also maintain the water license on the McKelvey Creek intake as a secondary, you know, because we recognize that, you know, um, a lot of the other resources have sort of been left they've left this the area you know and so water is still the thing that we have a lot of and that we have um you know uh when you drive from campbell river to tassis you pass by the john hart dam right so that is one uh it's not exactly passing by but it's it's one of those things and it's one of those things that um i know that If we were to both get a heat pump in BC, that would be a reduction in carbon because we get our electricity from water. But if we lived in Alberta, it would be a different story, right? You know, so there's like these different ways of like measuring sticks and efficiencies. And I know that um, it was a long process and there was a lot of contentious issues. Like one of the things that I sense tension about too sometimes here is we have this detention pond. So we've dug, it's a floodplain management strategy where we've dug a, a big pit to collect water that runs off the mountains when it's a king tide. So it has somewhere to go. So it won't just flood people's um, homes. And so now there's this like, and it has a pump. And when the river is low, then we can pump the water out again. But I do hear a lot of people talking to me about, oh, well, the garbage gets into it. And who's going to be the, like the, who's going to be responsible for this? I'm like, you're missing the point. This hole is here so that your house doesn't flood. You know, (laughs) like, so there's sort of these like, um, I don't know not harsh realities, I guess, but it's one of the the challenges, I guess, that I, I find it's funny, right? You know, it's it's funny because we have to like, it's funny and it's not funny. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's, I mean, listening from our side of the water, it's definitely an enviable, enviable position to be in where you're trying to figure out how to get rid of your excess water. I mean, just, just run a pipe to Seashell, it's fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I hear a lot of crazy stories sometimes, like, oh, there's like a boat that comes in the middle of the night to the deep water port and all this water goes on there. Bottles of water just gets get it loaded. And I'm like, no, I don't I don't see this happening. But I'm not awake all the time. <laughs> and I would love to like this is the thing about regionalism, right? We're coming back to like, why is the AVICC worth sending your elected delegates to? Because we with too much water and you with too little water we can work it together, you know? Like, we can find a way to work with our neighbors and sort of, like, Jack Sprat could eat no fat, his wife could eat no lean, right? You know? Like, there's... <laughs> there's, a uh, There's things that we don't have here that you have, right? You right. know? Like, I recognize... Like homelessness? Um, I don't know. I We have that. <laughs> but there is a lot of just sort of, like, roughly housed people more than yeah. homeless. The term we use here is inappropriately housed. Yeah. Right? People that might not be living in a house that they can maintain, mm-hmm. or that's too small for their family needs, or is too big for their family needs, right? Big. That's that's a huge thing. I would say that we have, you know, houses. Like, I have four people living in my home because I have two kids and one spouse and one dog and some hens in the back, but they don't come in the house. And many of the houses in this town have one person for a you know four bedroom house and so and also that is too much to maintain right you know like I lived in an RV once and I didn't have any guests then you know I could have guests here now but I think that um there was a lot of different situations where like I know people who who haven't been able to put a new roof on their home, who have had it rain inside their home, who can't do any improvements, who have, um, whether that is like financial or otherwise, um, an inability to keep up with the maintenance of their home. And then from the village of Tass's perspective, which is, uh, you know, it's an unsightly and unclean. It's a bylaw hazard. It's, you know, there's a lot of uh, challenges. Again, that sort of comes down to the, the poor and the rich, right? You know, like, there's so many different ways to measure that. And sometimes people don't have any other choices but to live the way they live. And I've even said to my friend, um, who was a Victoria counselor, um, where do you think people move to when they get priced out of Victoria? Right. You know, like they they move away to somewhere else cheaper. And, you know, even me, like I when I first got here, I lived in a trailer and that was like a process. We put underskirting. We tried to get the mice out. You know, it was like trying to keep the heat in. You know, there's not a single building in this town outside of the Coast Guard building that is recently bought built that is up to the building codes. Everything else is like, you know, grandfathered. <laughs> You're muted, Brenda. I just said the old term grandfathered in. So we've got the, we are in the situation where people are being priced out of the Sunshine Coast and, and moving away. And we have this growing um, homeless camp downtown. Um, that's we've never seen before that uh, you know is causing all sorts of issues in one of our downtown areas so yeah that's uh, probably our outside of water one of the biggest issues um, facing us right now I would say that and we have just the most amazing controversy uh, over our short-term rental bylaw. But we have big... a dog problem, too. I don't know if you can hear the dog problem. I know. You know what? They are going crazy. So, I I will just keep myself muted. Maybe I'll sign. I, I have 
to say that I was invited by a resident of the village of Tassis to her home where she talked about her neighbor's dogs and the barking. And I, I appreciate that I have a problem dog. Sometimes Houdini's out of my yard and then isn't where it's supposed to be. And so I guess I'm on the problem dog side of things uh, rather than the my neighbor's. Thank you.